I value handmade things and I value, you know, the slower pace. So, I mean, that's kind of what I want to propel out in the world because that's what I sort of value, you know. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as episodes in Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers across the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. Products like their new line of professional relief inks, beginning with the flagship color Super Graphic Black, developed with artist printer Bill Fick. Formulated with all the working properties artists demand, these light-fast inks roll out consistently, transfer beautifully, and clean up easily with soap and water. So if you want to take your practice to the next level, head on over to Speedball's website, where you can pick up a can of your new favorite color. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Valerie Luth, co-founder, artist, and operator of Tugboat Print Shop. We talk about what it's like to run your own business and be a mom in the middle of a pandemic, finding her artistic voice, how you save your hands when making large-scale, intricate woodcuts, and what it takes to be your own advocate and salesperson as a working artist. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to carve out your place in the world with Valerie Luth. Hi, Valerie. How's it going? Oh, going well, going well. Good, good. I'm really happy that we can connect because I think, as I said earlier when we were off mic, you have been long, long on my list as someone to chat with. Um, I really think about uh, Tugboat as as maybe one of the first online printmaking presences that I was really aware of, you know? I mean, when I was just dipping my toes into the world of printmaking, uh, contemporary printmaking, back in 2013, 2011. And it's just really wonderful to actually get to to chat with you and, and talk a little bit about your background and, and starting Tugboat and being a professional working artist woman in the world and social media and all of that good stuff. I'm, I'm really excited. Well, I'm flattered and happy to share with you. Wonderful. So I think a lot of people probably already know the answer to these um, of my listening uh, demographic, but just on the off chance, someone needs a little more introduction. Would you please let me know who you are, where you are, and what you do? Okay. Um, well, my name is Valerie Luth, and I run Tugboat Print Shop in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania here um, in Lawrenceville. I basically have just a, a little workshop print shop in my in my backyard that I run like well I have an etching press and um, I, I just make prints all the time and post a lot online and sell through my website and um, in events at person in person and um, I just have always loved printmaking and mm. always wanted to be a printmaker once I learned about printmaking and basically just kind of knew that was my path um, when I first stumbled into it back in 1998 at the University of South Dakota. 
Um, and basically since that time, I've just been investigating print and testing out different things. Um, with printmaking, I was, I first started out primarily as an etcher, but um, around the time Tugboat started in 2006, I got into woodcut and I've been doing that for the past 16 years now. Yeah. And then where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? I grew up in South Dakota, actually, um, and went to college and state there at the University of South Dakota. But I was always very active in arts and I think I or just doing things and making things and just being sort of an activated person. I liked I grew up on a farm in rural South Dakota, and I was always building forts and concocting plans. And my sister and I would always write plays and perform plays. And I was always coloring and drawing and just making things. And as I matured and in like high school, I was got into photography. I was really into journalism, but throughout it all, I always was drawing. Um, and then when I graduated and I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go to art school. <laughs> you know, I want to keep drawing, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do when I got there. And I, I took some drawing classes and just, you know, your run of the mill, uh, first year freshman year classes. And I ended up in a, my second semester, my drawing class was taught by the printmaking professor there, um, Lloyd Menard. And he asked me after the close of the class, if I wanted to start um, an assistantship with him over the summer, he had kind of a group of printmakers that worked with him to um, help organize and set up the Frogman's workshop. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd love to do that, you know. And so I in Vermilion over that summer and then was able to help with that workshop, which was just tremendously influential in building me as a printmaker. I mean, just meeting and networking with so many different artists and um, professors of printmaking, uh, moving presses, assembling rooms, you know, it was just, it was an incredible experience. And I took a really long time kind of getting through my BFA. Mm. I, I graduated in 2004. So it was like six years in school. I was kind of going at my own pace. And um, so I just took every summer I'd be taking his workshops and we would go to printmaking, you know, conferences. And it was just I could feel the energy in the field and I just wanted to be a part of it. Mm, I think that's a beautiful way of putting that and something that definitely drew me to it as well, coming in sort of through the back door of art history, not being a printmaker myself, and then ending up in contemporary printmaking through my first real art job over at Davidson Galleries in Seattle. And that energy, as you say, of just people being excited, working together, building community, supporting each other. Um, it was completely, yeah, intoxicating. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I could I could see the utility of the skill as well, you know, like the be, being able to replicate, you know, some, a drawing, something you spend a lot of time making, and then just being able to make honest, authentic, you know, duplicates of it. And that seemed very smart. <laughs> like, oh, I'm always going to take forever making things. But if I take forever making these things, I can make more than one, you know? Yes, yes. I've heard it described as you can kind of seal all your hours of labor into a block or a plate. And then you just get to revisit them whenever you need to, you know, to pull pull another um, pull another edition or something. It's just sure. there. It's like this little time capsule of all the blood, sweat, and tears of art making. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that making process too. <laughs> <laughs> 
beyond the matrix. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, you said you were drawn to the community and drawn to the kind of multiplicity of the outcomes. And was it there's something about maybe the like the physicality of print as well that sort of captured your attention, you know, being someone who sounds like you had this very eclectic art pole, you know, um, for darkroom photography and journalism and installations and just that that there is that like really diverse uh, corporeal experience that you get in printmaking. Do you think that was part of it? Um, yeah. And also, I think just like how perfect you can make things uh. or to some degree, you know, like I'm a, I've always been kind of a meticulous person and like, you know, keeping things clean, like in the finished product was always something I cared about, you know, but it was, and it, it's such a challenge in a drawing or in a painting, you know, you have like messes and stuff, but making like a block or an etching, there are ways to, you know, clean off the stuff you don't want before you make the final thing. And there's this sort of perfectionism that I, in the deliberate, deliberate mark making, you know, that I really gravitated towards, I suppose, as well. Yeah. That I, oh, go ahead. Specifically, like working in woodcut, I've sort of, you know, I almost see it like a sculpture of, of uh, layers of ink, you know, the, the tactile nature of the ink on the paper and layers just builds such complexity to the image that you're looking at. A lot of times my customers are sort of just blown away, like they're so used to looking at like flat digital right. images. And when they see the tactile nature of ink on paper and layers, they're just like, their minds are like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I could completely see that. And, and, you know, going out and doing these in-person events, I mean, do you find yourself kind of being a, a teacher a bit or an evangelist for, for printmaking when people may not even know what they're looking at? Oh, absolutely. I love sharing what, what I do. And I always bring examples of, you know, blocks. Well, usually just like one example, because it's a lot to carry around and the focus right. is on the prints. But um, just to sh share, you know, my process, and it really helps people understand how it was made to see the blocks and see the ink on the blocks. And, you know, I take a lot of photos of the work I do as I, or my ma my making process as I'm working, just to also help, you know, for those that might not know so much about the medium, for them to be able to grasp how it, the object is made. Mm, yeah. I love sharing whatever I know, you know, like <laughs> people I talk to them about whatever they want, you know, I can go <laughs> off on anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's wonder. I, I really enjoy talking with people. I don't always get the chance to do it. I tend to kind of hermit away and make things a lot of my time. Um, so it's nice when I'm in, in person at something and I can open up and share all the technical things with others. Yeah. Yeah. Having been someone who has been some ways the the public face of print, you know, working as the director of contemporary at Davidson, where I, you know, it's incredible archive there. I think at one point we had, I don't know, upwards of 8,000 prints just in the contemporary department alone. And people come yeah. in off the street and they sometimes really don't know what they're seeing and, and trying to make sense of it. And it's so good that I think you bring the blocks because there's something about trying to describe it that you get about three sentences in and you can just see people kind of gloss over when it's, it is the simple idea, you know, especially something like, like woodcut where it, it's there, you know, there's no acids, there's no like chemicals at play, but there's still something about trying to do it with words that it's very difficult to land 
without some kind of visual for some reason. I, I don't know. It's, it's a it's a code that I've been working on. I feel like for ten years that I've yet to crack. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not the most familiar process. I think for a lot of people, but once they once they can see how it was made, it's not so so far of a sorry. It's not so much a leap to get there, you know. And I, I mean, I think with especially with wood, people just love mm. wood. They love carved wood and wooden things, and there's just something very warm about it. And I mean, people love to touch the block, you know, oh, I <laughs> bet. Touch the block, which is fine once they're printed, you know, but yeah. And so you're have you have this really distinctive aesthetic. You are you've, you've got these really colorful, really intricate blocks. And I'm wondering how long did it take you to kind of develop that? Were you always interested? You know, you said you're a meticulous person when you were doing work, um, you know, at the University of South Dakota. Were you going that direction or when and how did you kind of find that voice? Well, I think I had I had watched and helped and assisted with so many um, print projects throughout my time at the University of South Dakota and through just working at all these different workshops and things. So I saw so many prints get made and saw so many different prints. So I was really aware of like a lot of the possibilities. But for myself, color didn't really come into my work very much until I started doing woodcut. And I think that was because when I was an etcher, I was so focused on all of the lines and I, I would just, you know, hand, hand stippling and then all of these different little tiny lines. But with woodcut, the, the mark being so much bolder, I could only go so small. And so then I, I just ended up having more headspace to think beyond those lines and deal with color. And mm. I started playing with color a lot more um, when I when I started working in woodcut. Mm. Yeah. And now I just kind of can't stop. It's, it's very, <laughs> I, go, I go back and forth, you know, sometimes, like, especially during the pandemic, I made some black, more black and white pieces more because of time. I have two kids and it was difficult to orchestrate larger color pieces during that time. But um, I really enjoy working with color and what it can evoke in, in a piece. But um, it's sort of this, did, whatever the subject of the work is, kind of de- the sentiment that I want to kind of pull forth. Mm. Try, I try to sl- select colors based on what I hope for in, in that department, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think with that really intricate tactile blocks that you make and then when you mix those, as I think you often do, with real bright, vibrant colors, it really makes for like quite an experience, I imagine. And like from sure, very sort of head turning for the people who come by um, your booth or your stall or wherever you are, because it is this this look that you don't really see other ways. And of course, really couldn't be achieved through other media, I don't think. You know, it's that, that, that kind of graphicness mixed with like powerful colors. It, it would you could do it maybe, but it would it would take a lot longer. It would there'd be no purpose of doing it with anything other than woodcut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I that's where I seem to put all my energy now. <laughs> so I like to explore all the possibilities. It's, it's a slow process, though. So you know, I go at the rate that I can go at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that maybe kind of leads in well to my next question, which is, what are your like? best practices that you can share with our people and, you know, particularly maybe even young artists out there for saving your hands and your joints when you're doing like such intricate and often intricate and quite large scale blocks? Well, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) 
I, 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 I don't tend, you know, like I kind of work in spurts, like I'll spend, you know, four or five hours carving intensely and then switch to another thing. Or, you know, I, I kind of have my days worked out to where I'm not usually doing one task all the day long. So my hands kind of get different. I mean, I'm usually use, using my hands with every single task, but in a different way throughout the day, you know, uh, it, carving versus printing, rolling inks or, you know, typing on a computer or drawing mm. on a block. Each sort of requires different muscles to be used. But um, and then there's like finger exercises you can do to like stretch, stretch your fingers out if they get sore while you're carving. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to use Band-Aids, but not because I'm cutting myself, but just to <laughs> like the sort of cushion my yeah. my joint, like parts of my hands that hold my tools tightly because I tend to hold my tools really tightly when I'm carving Mm. and then they'll they kind of cut into my hand if I don't have a little bit of a barrier between them and my skin so I'll I'll use band-aids to sort of protect my 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 uh from in deep indentations yeah I can I can (laughs) picture that for sure you know even um just from my my little experience carving just lino cuts, I can picture, you know, those those red and kind of purple indentations that can yeah. happen in the fingers. Yeah. Yeah. It's um when I was first my one of my only prints I've ever made was just a a, a lino cut. And I was at a, a studio where my husband was working at the time and I'd drawn it out and I was carving it and I was he'd he's done really large scale woodcuts as well and and that are quite detailed and I, I so I was asking him like okay like how do I hold this and what do I do this and at one point I said and how do I keep my back from hurting and he said well when you figure that out you tell the rest of us you know well with larger scale pieces it's hard because you got you got to kind of find the leverage to get a good cut but then you're working across this giant surface and sometimes I'm working vertically and sometimes I have it flat on the table and it kind of just depends on what area, you know, I'm singled mm-hmm. in on at the moment. But try to rotate around a little bit because it definitely does uh, start to your, your back starts to hurt. Your hands start to yeah, hurt. Yeah. It's, a, it's a no pain, no gain kind of situation. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, woodcut, especially large scale woodcut, is just it's so physical and, um, you know, something that I think you just need to sounds like listen to your body you know if it needs if your block needs to be up that day put it up that day yeah yeah Mm. well different cuts you know they're easier to make from different directions and stuff too so sometimes i'll make all the cuts in one direction and then switch aside you know rotate and then make cuts in that you know from that same direction but in a different spot you know like rotating the block so that you know i don't have to have to move it moves you know yeah yeah so when and why did you decide to start your own shop? Well, I always knew I was going to, I mean, I always kind of intended to be just an artist. I never really thought about going, I, di- I didn't go to grad school because I didn't want to be a professor. I knew mm. I didn't want to be making work and that that was where I was sort of destined to be. Um, I did get a job like right after I graduated from the University of South Dakota um, doing, um, what is what was it even called? Concept art for like these, this educational video game company. Oh, wow. I learned a lot about, you know, working and drawing and, and Photoshop and doing a lot of digital kind of technology stuff, which I had not done any of before I started this <laughs> job. But after, I mean, that kind of provided me with some resources to be able to purchase like a press and the equipment that would be necessary to be able to have one's own print shop. And once, 
kind of had that, then it just made sense to be, you know, to label it and begin, you know, as a business. So that sort of, I mean, I was always making prints and selling them in the gallery and, and trying to find ways to get prints in front of people before that as well. But um, once once I actually had a press and, you know, knew that that was something I was able to do all the time, like that was when kind of cut the cord with the other place and dove in and decided to be Tugboat Print Shop. And so was Tugboat originally in South Dakota and then in Pittsburgh then? Well, yeah. Um, well, I, Tugboat was started by Paul Roden and I, um, and Paul had a gallery in South Dakota that he started when he was a grad student called the Tugboat. Ah. Um, I wondered why tugboat. I really, yeah, I was curious about. I mean, a lot of people do, but I think when we were when we were kind of coming up with ideas behind, you know, what what would what would our print shop be? um, We really liked this idea of like the small thing, kind of working towards something big. Mm -hmm. So the tugboat sort of we we lived in river cities um, beside rivers and. And we liked the idea of like the little engine kind of. So the tugboat seemed appropriate to to keep as a uh, icon for ourselves. Yeah. As, you know. And since then, we've both kind of gone different ways. Paul's become more of a painter, and I'm still you know making prints as tugboat. Um, but we worked together in those early years of uh, developing the business, and it was. We did a lot. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I've always just really, really liked tugboats. You know, I, I grew up um, on the Puget Sound, and so you see, you know, just these really charming little vessels doing this incredible work. And so I always got that feeling from the shop. Um, I, just because I already have that like emotional impression of tugboats for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're it's just, a pleasant. It's a pleasant little thought. The tugboat. <laughs> yeah, they're just like they're just you know unassuming and hardworking and yeah you know that. and and just very pleasing. So that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense. And so it uh, eventually moved to Pittsburgh. Um, and so how was that for a transition? You know, I think uh, I've driven through South Dakota. I've I've been in in North Dakota. Um, so I I know a bit of that kind of feeling of that space and that openness. And then all of a sudden you're in Pittsburgh, <laughs> this very industrial, uh, yes, very yes. urban place. Uh, what was that transition like? Well, we we actually had moved from South Dakota to Nashville first, um, and then from Nashville up to Pittsburgh. And it was harder for me the transition between um, South Dakota and Nashville, honestly, because yeah. I just needed winter. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just, I wanted like a climate that had a, a cold period where you could just burrow away and do your things. Because like that's what I, that's what I was used to, like having all the time. Um, so Pittsburgh definitely held that, and it's also such a blue collar place. Yeah. Um, it, it felt very Midwestern and I felt very at home here and still do. I mean, I'm definitely not like people are always like, where are you from? <laughs> you mm. And I'm like, I have lived here for 16 years, uh, <laughs> but I, I clearly give off of a different kind of vibe. So, I mean, I, I definitely consider myself a Pittsburgher now, but um, I'm not, I don't know all the, the subtleties of the region. So mm. but I love it here. It's great. There's, it, it's a, it's not a giant city, um, but it's topographically extremely interesting to me. And I love all the old architecture. And part of like 
when I lived in South Dakota, um, I always lived in like towns, but close to the like main street of town where all the little businesses were. So I could walk easily to the bank or to the post office. Right. And I was always a big walker or biker. Um, and I really, after living in Nashville where everything was far away, I realized like that is something I need. I want to be able to walk to everything I want to go to. I don't want to have to get in a car. I don't want to have to like take all this extra time to do all of these different tasks. So Pittsburgh is was the neighborhood that I now live in in Lawrenceville. It's just so walkable. Like all the houses are really close together. All of all of these things are very accessible. And for me, that creates the perfect living environment. So mm. happier. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely understand that. And you know, being someone who myself have lived in many different cities, at least like seven that I can think of off the top of my head right now, um, that you really do develop that taste of like, okay, like what, what do I need to be living my best and truest life? And we're so fortunate that the U.S. is so incredibly diverse and we can find almost anything under the sun that you'd like uh, in terms of, you know, what you can value in your city, you know, in your living arrangement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like being able to walk down the hill with all my packages and just go to the little post office and drop them off. You know, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. That's really nice. Um, I love that image that you said about like winter being this time where you can burrow away and get work done. And I, I, you know, having lived in very warm climates and also cold and rainy climates as well. And now I'm in Santa Fe in the middle of winter, which is maybe the first like kind of proper, like closest to proper winter I've ever lived in where, you know, it's consistently freezing. And once the snow falls, it stays on the ground. I've never had that before. Because mm. um, in Seattle, you get right, you, you know, you have two inches of snow and then the next day it rains and it goes away, you know, and other, so it's very, very mild there. It kind of does that in Pittsburgh a little bit too, oh, yeah? but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a super cold. It's actually extremely mild winter. I, in my opinion, I'm <laughs> I mean, sure comparatively, that's pretty great too. It feels like kind of tropical winter in comparison, but um, I think it's just like that time period where things just feel a little bit slower and it gets cold and like not as many people are out and about and there's just a slower pace to the way things get done a mm, little. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I've been in tropical or subtropical cities like Sydney or Bangkok, I feel like there is almost this pressure that you should, you should be out. It's nice. Like I feel that. Yeah. 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 You're and wasting, just, you're wasting this evening. Time. Yeah. <laughs> like sigh, I could go to work. Oh yeah. There's no expectation of me to go. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm really going to take that forward in my first like proper cold winter that I'm going into, you know, yeah. not just visiting, like, you know, I've, I've been to conferences in Chicago in February or the Netherlands in January, but that's only been for a week. Like this is my, my, this is my chance to burrow properly and really feel it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so once you were in Pittsburgh and, um, you know, it's, you're doing tugboat, like, pretty much kind of full time, it sounds like, you know, you're making a lot of work. And of course, you've got your, um, your online presence, social media, you have a website, you, you sell work through it. And I guess all of that, and I, I, I've experienced this in just a little bit with what I do for the podcast can feel sort of like you're never not working. You know, when you when you're when you're doing something creative that you're also the 
documenter and the promoter and the shipper and the, sure. uh, you know, do you find that? Um, have you, do you, does it bother you? Do you find you need to make space when you're not, um, you know, Valerie tugboat and you can be, you know, Valerie mom and that kind of thing? Well, I think I've sort of like, you know, I've, I've come up with a good balance over the years. It hasn't always been the easiest, you know, but I think that when I've realized things are becoming too hectic for myself or, you know, I'm overwhelmed by the way something is working, I try to take a look at it and simplify mm-hmm. it or, you know, streamline it so that it's easier or, you know, I just like on, I can usually see what the problem area is and be able to address it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much always working in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's my nature. So I'm not mm-hmm. dissatisfied by that. And I would be bored if I was always doing the same thing. So I, I'm interested. I like being able to wear, to do all of the different parts. I mean, there might be a day when I decide, you know, I don't, but it all feels sort of tied together, you know, when I'm explaining what I'm working on or I'm taking pictures of it like those are all things I really enjoy doing and have enjoyed doing for you know a lot of my life and it sort of brings out these these other interests you know that I have and weaves them together with my art interests and so I'm satisfying a lot of different things you know that I'm compelled to do yeah within the one framework I'm wondering if if maybe you were able to have a a a quick learning curve or something with the the self-promotion that working artists need to do because you had the background in photography and then also, you know, photojournalism, which of course is, you know, show me what's happening, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I definitely think that the my experience with those things in the past have, has informed my ability to be more proficient at it, at it in my business, yeah. you know? And as I activated those different parts within the business, you know, they weren't every, not every single thing came all at once, you know, <laughs> sort of, oh, yeah, I can do this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, too. And then, you know, I could weave that with that. But, um, you know, I've gotten better at it, too, like the more that I do it. So I don't waste as much time thinking out thinking about it. You know, I kind of have developed a system with how. I like to talk to my audience or like to share with people. And that makes it easier for me to do, too. But it's not something that I really struggle too much with because I I enjoy doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes the longevity of the practice so much easier when it's fulfilling. You know, and it's it's necessarily doesn't feel like um, you're white knuckling your way through every element of it. Yeah. In terms of either the self-promotion and going through Instagram, um, I feel like and this might just be like my my arc, but I was was Tugboat kind of an, an early adopter of social media as a way to promote what you were doing. Is that your perception at all? I feel like it's mine. That's why I say that. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I think maybe the documenting of process as like a large component of sharing yeah. could be said to be something. Cause I, I don't really feel like I saw very many people sharing that information with others. And I think it's, it's pretty important when you're trying to sell a print, you know, for people to understand the work that goes into it, in my opinion, you know, so it always seemed very, 
like a natural thing to be able to share like, well, I don't have this finished thing to show you, but this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's interesting too. So maybe, you know, it helps you see this whole process a little bit better, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, for those that are interested in, in looking and wanting to know more, it's there, you know, it's not like you have to sign on and be a follower and watch it all happen. You know, if it's not interesting, then you just don't follow, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and woodblocks themselves are such beautiful beautiful objects. They really are. They're really, really great. And I, you know, through um, the promotion that I do for the podcast, I, on the Hello Print from Instagram, I, I repost works that I find to be really interesting. And I find so often those are woodcuts because they're, they're just gorgeous objects. Yeah. And then there's just something so satisfying and more magical about seeing that print come off of it in this way that's really satisfying where I, well, I love litho. I, th- I have the highest respect for lithographers, but there's it's just sort of like it, it's a, so different to see like a completed drawing flat on a stone and then it comes up and it's like, well, it's, it's yeah, your drawings transferred. You know, it's like it has a different there's there's a drama maybe about woodcut uh, that really makes it per- kind of perfect for a medium like Instagram. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's all sorts of hocus pocus you could share with litho, though, too. Like, yeah. I mean, that's true. <laughs> moving of, I mean, there's just so much stuff. Just like any printmaking, there's so many tactile moments in the making that are just there to be documented if one wanted to or was mm. doing. You know? But I mean, it's probably like how you how you spin it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that? you need to kind of mind your your mental health at all around social media, you know, um, having a, a big following on it. And then also, you know, being someone who posts regularly. Is that stressful for you? I mean, do you I, I've talked to some people who really feel that pressure around Instagram and, you know, you got to feed the beast, you know, kind of a feeling for it. Um, is that something you've balanced with or does it just kind of seem very natural? Well, I mean, I kind of just feel like the people who are, if, you, if you're following me there, you want to see what I'm making. And if I'm making something, I'm sharing it. And, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't really put a lot of pictures of like my kids or my life outside of printmaking on there. You know, it sort of has become more of a, you know, like my work with my business kind of page. Um, and like, so that, you know, like I try to maintain a certain amount of privacy for my person with my personal life, but if it's, if it's work related and I think it seems interesting, I'll share it. And I try not to get too worried about, you know, what, what people think or whatever. Cause you know, it's just, I had this thing, I shared it, <laughs> you know, whatever happens to it from there. Like, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're going to say, I mean, people are pretty respectful. I haven't yeah. had any really challenge anything. And I mean, I don't always, I'm probably not always the best at my response times or like, I don't always respond to every single comment or whatever. I don't always have time to do that much, you know, but I I feel like at least I can put the pictures out there or like put the information out there for whatever I'm working on. And it's just, it's kind of more of a way for me to feel like I'm updating people who would be interested in what I'm making you know, and the fact that I continue to get followers is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, I try not to think about that or I don't really do a lot of promotional things with, you know, or um, spend money to advertise. I just create content. You know, I think if you're if you're making something interesting and you're putting something interesting out there, I mean, as especially as an artist, I mean, you're you're in charge of your content. You know, you have you can create your own 
personal content that you have control over. And that's a very valuable thing to be able to do. Yeah, that sounds very, very healthy. I think sometimes I, I talk to artists out there who, you know, they really like, like, well, why did this one only get so many engagements in this one? You know, and it's just like you, you'll just drive yourself mad, truly, if if you yeah. try and do it. And, and it sounds like, you know, your attitude of like, look, you know, no one's making no one's making anyone follow tugboat. Either they want to be there, or they don't. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, there's other ways that people connect with me too. You know, I have a mailing list, and I have, you know, I go do shows in person and stuff. You know, so I, I don't put everything into that one thing too. You know, I I, I can't I can't make Instagram Instagram my god. You know, <laughs> like I I like I, there's just people like to connect in different ways, and so I, I probably post there most often but just because it's I have a large the largest following there but um, I I put an equal amount of investment into the other areas and I mean just having a whole bunch of likes on something doesn't mean you're necessarily selling it Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's uh it is what it is it's a nice tool yeah yeah and I think that that relationship between you know selling your work which you want to do as a as a working artist and kind of ch- chasing the numbers of Instagram you know as you say it's not necessarily a, a one-to-one correlation as well and it's i think people get really caught up in the size of an audience and less focused on like getting the audience that they want does that make sense yeah right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like number one thing in running the business is finding people who want and appreciate the work that you do, you know, and um, cultivating a relationship with those people that are interested in what you're making. And that's one, you know, the, the, all the different social medias offer, you know, a different reach to a kind of different audiences. People like prefer one over the other, you know, so I, I don't know. You know, I kind of dabble a little bit in some of them. I just definitely do not do all of them. I do not have time for it. But I know that I like to take pictures to document my work. I know that I like to, you know, write little bits about it here and there. And I know what I can kind of handle and manage alongside the other things that I, I do in life. And so I continue to do those things. And that's what where I'm able to put my energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned uh, a couple of times about um, being a mom as well as a as an artist, and I want you to, if you if you if you'd like, I know you said that you're a little uh, understandably private about home life and all that, but maybe just kind of in a general way, speak to the experience of being a creative and a mom, and because I think a lot of people they can get maybe a little bit anxious about having kids and thinking like, well, am I going to have any energy to make my work anymore? And of course, um, you know, moms have this whole extra added, uh, you know, complexity around um, paid time off versus not paid time off and all of that. And I often find it really interesting to hear how artists sort of interact with the creativity of raising small humans with the creativity of creating work. And what is that like for you? Well, you know, um, let's see. I think that... Well, it's wonderful to have children. Mm-hmm. They bring just so much. They they bring so much. Uh, they bring me a lot of energy, actually. I mean, they wear me out sometimes, but I like I'm so sparked by the things that they get interested in and they're 
appreciation for just so much. And it, it really reshapes the way that I think about certain things sometimes. Um, so I appreciate that in my kids. Um, I think like I definitely don't have as much time to work as when I didn't have children, but um, having children has made me much more aware of the time that I do have. And I tend to be more deliberate with my time mm. as of having children. So I know that I have to get things done by a certain time or, you know, I, I just ke- I keep myself to timelines a little bit better um, because I know I want to be able to spend time with them and I know that I have to get certain things done for my work. And so it, it's been a, a certainly a lot of figuring these things out through the years. But now that my kids are a little bit older, it, it's kind of easier. They go to school and um, I get the daytime when they're at school now. So, you know, every day. So that's great. <laughs> but, uh-huh. so there are certainly some years there where it was a little more challenging to get work done. But I think that also is part of why um, I've chosen to have my print shop, you know, in my backyard in the studio versus like having a storefront um, as well, just because then in the evenings, you know, when they're sleeping, I'm able to go out and continue my projects. And I I don't feel like I'm, um, you know, I don't have to get a babysitter, be far away or, you know, it, it, I kind of built my life to have it, to, to try to serve all of the different facets of it, you know, yeah. and make the best of with my, with my time. Right. Yeah. My time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does take a long time to make things, you know. And make tiny humans, I've heard, you know. (laughs) But they're so creative and interesting, too, you know. So a lot of times we'll be making things together. And they're becoming more and more comfortable with coming out to my studio and, like, working on things in my studio while I'm working on things in my studio. So... I think as they age, we'll get into more of that too. You know, they're they're pretty artistic little beings. Yeah, yeah. And so you're someone who has been working in the arts and and you know monetizing artistic practice and and being your own promotional person. And then we had this kind of wacky pandemic happen. And you know, you were already working from home, but it sounds like obviously it changed um, when you're. Kids were staying home uh, for school, which I know happened to many, 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 many parents. But how was that time period for you as someone who, you know, was kind of used to having these lengths of time to dedicate to your creative practice and then suddenly life changed. Yeah. Well, I had to do some evaluating on like what, you know, like I, I would have goals in my head of like what I wanted to do pre pandemic. And then I had to kind of rearrange those and, and think of projects that I would be able to manage, you know? So I was, I was working smaller, um, one color pieces for a while, just because that's what I could do alongside working and helping them at home. Um, but you know, I still was able to make work and it, it didn't feel, I wasn't like, I was itching for the opportunity to be able to work on things that were big again, or things that were a little more complicated again. But, um, I just tried to make the best of the time that I had and it worked all right. I mean, there were definitely some stressful moments throughout (laughs) it, (laughs) but we all worked together to try to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's... I think back, I mean, it feels like, it feels kind of distant, but it really wasn't. 
<laughs> now it's sort of like coming back a little bit. So I don't know. Um, you know, and like the, with their father, you know, like we kind of share time with the kids. And so sometimes they, my kids would be with him as well, you know. So the, the days when my kids were with him, then I would have more free time and vice versa for him. So we, we kind of work together to sort of like be able to allow ourselves creative time independent mm-hmm. of and throughout that time period as well, which was very good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If we hadn't been able to work together nicely like that, I mean, it would have been a little bit more of a challenge, but we could, we could count on at least a couple days a week of solid work time. Between, yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so do you think that you, you know, encourage your kids to go into creative arts and, and follow your path? I know I've talked to some people who are like, no, I want them to be lawyers, you know, like don't, don't do what I did. But do you think that you would encourage them to, to, to do kind of something similar? I think that if they have the inclination, absolutely. I think that um, they can see it all happening around them. So if they decide that that's what they want for themselves, (laughs) they can they go after it, you know, and I, you know, they, my daughter, my daughter will have all, has all sorts of things, you know, that she wants to be. And she's trying to figure that out. And I'm trying to lead her, you know, and all these different, you know, help her find the thing that she connects with and experiment with different possibilities. And, uh, you know, it's always there for her. If she wants help doing something like that, I'm certainly willing to share what I know and, and help hold her hand and her starting something similar or carrying on the torch if she wants to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Second generation uh, tugboats. Yeah. But, you know, it. I think it will be up to, up to them to decide. I'll be supportive of them of whatever they decide they want to do. But I think bearing what, you know, they've been able to witness and with two two parents that are artists and running their own businesses, you know, they see what's involved and they see what I do and they're very astute and ask questions and they like to run their own little businesses. Like they set up, I live on main street um, and it's pretty busy street. So there's a lot of street walking traffic and they'll set up their lemonade stands and they set up an art stand and they make like one day they made like 60 bucks. My daughter sell earrings and like they're always coming up with plans to like make and sell things so maybe it is in their future i don't know yeah i mean it sounds like definitely that their parents their parents children right exactly but yeah that's the kind of stuff i love to do when i was a kid too so you know maybe maybe that's what you 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 have that inclination towards you know getting your goods in front of people and sharing it and Mm, yeah yeah if you i say it's it's always an interesting question i always never know to ask like if you could give yourself advice you know for starting a shop or if to ask it as what advice would you give young printmakers who want to do what you do because i i think a lot of artists and we have a lot of students who listen to the podcast that would be an end ambition you know be able to have a business based around their art and and promote it and sell it and you know have a life based in making and living and you know what would you tell them or if it makes more sense to frame it as what you know what would you tell young Valerie about it just kind of words of wisdom as someone who's who's been doing it for some time well I think as any kind of as any small business owner you have to be able to really talk or or greet with your you know your customers and that has, that's a very necessary skill um so you know like I've I've talked to artists and and, and younger 
students and schools and stuff before on the subject. And, you know, I sort of say, you know, if it's your inclination to want to do those kinds of things, then you probably have what it takes to, to run your own business. But if it's something that you hesitate to do, and it might not be your strongest skill, you know, maybe you should be working with a gallery or someone else who can talk mm-hmm. on half because you really have to be able to feel confident in in what you're saying and what you're selling to have success you know so i would say you know we're and it's a tremendous amount of work yeah uh, and wearing a lot of different hats and if you're the kind of personality you know that can handle a lot of different things and it doesn't bother you at all and you like it and you're challenged by it then i say yeah it's for you <laughs> <laughs> That kind of stuff stresses you out, you know. There's probably still a way to do it, but, um, you know, you've got to think about what your strong suits are and roll with those, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think some people really want to live a life where their work and their life is very separate, you know, where they just they, – they, they punch the clock and then they work and then they punch the clock eight hours later and they don't work. And that's really, really appealing to some people. And I've known people who have lived that sort of straight job life very happily. Um, and then there's our, there's, you know, as we've said that, that, that kind of never not working, it can either drain you or it can fill your cup and, and, and make you feel like you are living a, a successful, wonderful life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. I mean, because, you know, like there's so many, well, with running a bit, there's just so many things you can be thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) But I try to make sure that I devote time to like be thinking about like what I want to be making primarily, you know, like that, that's what I, why I started what I doing what I do. And that's why I want to be doing what I do is because of the work, you know, the artwork making prints. Um, And I try to keep that the focal point. So when something else starts to feel like it's taking over, you know, if I'm writing too many emails or, you know, something is just taking too much of my energy and I'm not feeling very connected to my craft, then I then I back up a little bit. And I say, hey, what, what, what can I do here? Because I, I need to have my focus be on this, you know. So sometimes I have to dial certain things back to keep a balance for myself, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Tugboat first started out, they were like making t-shirts and doing wedding invitations and all these different things, you know, to try to make money and, you know, fund the business and fund our lives. And over the years, it's sort of like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You just kind of strip back what doesn't work and what isn't like as you are able to, you know, in your like sometimes when you're first starting out, you have to take on everything, you know, or you take on everything you can. But then as you get going and you're able to like choose a little bit more, you know, be more selective, um, you should be so that you can keep your focus on what you want it to be focused on. Mm, Yeah, I feel like that's really strong advice because I I mean, at least I know for for me, uh, I can get kind of tangled up in the like, I have to do everything and I have to do everything perfectly. Otherwise, everything will fall apart and then not recognize (laughs) that like maybe I've actually been able to build up an aspect of this for it to to stand on its own but you know it's that that metaphor right of the vines where you need to like have a grasp on the next vine but then you are allowed to let go of the one behind you but yeah 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 i don't know i try to i try to make it clear that i'm a person (laughs) 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 throughout like you know like all the messages, you know, like I am a person making art, you know, I can't do everything like, but I'm doing what I am, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, you know, but like, I'm just one person, you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. And I imagine that people might respond to that, you know, understanding that they're not 
ordering something off of Amazon. You, right. they, there's plenty of, you know, offset lithographs of trees out on Amazon if you wanted to go buy one. You know, that's an option, but that's not what they're doing. You know, they're, they that the fact that you do are saying I'm a real person. I mean, I, that's got to connect with people. And I, I, I would imagine it would connect with me. It would work on me. Yeah, I value that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I value handmade things and I value, you know, the slower pace. So, I mean, that's kind of what I want to propel out in the world because that's that's what I sort of value, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To wrap up, I would love it if you could just let people know where they can find you, where they can find Tugboat, where they can see your work and uh, how to get in touch if you want people getting in touch. All my, all my available works are in my online shop at um, tugboatprintshop.com. I also have an Etsy store where I list um, prints. Some of them that in my Etsy store are maybe rare prints or prints that have very few copies left. Um, and if you're local to Pittsburgh, I do studio visits. Um, so if you want to get in touch, I have a submission form on my website. You can write me a note um, if you'd like to visit locally. And I'm not always able to make a commitment to that. If, if Usually you have to get in touch at least 24 hours beforehand to, to set up a time um, because I do have kids and stuff. So I, But I like to be able to invite people into my space and show them what I do if, if people want to be able to shop in person or bring a class in or something like that. Um, I'm available for that to some degree, depending on the level of pandemic we're in. And, (laughs) you know, uh, yeah. Uh, And I I do in-person events occasionally. I list those on my website. Um, So if you want to come see me like out tabling at an event or something, uh, those are usually listed on my website. And same with exhibitions. Um, where my prints are included. Uh, they usually are listed on the calendar at, on my website. Great. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Valerie, for taking the time to chat with me. Um, and I'm just really excited to share your story and share your prints with our audience. Awesome. Thanks so much, Miranda. It was fun. Well, that's our show for this week. If you like this episode and you want to support it, you can certainly find us over on Patreon. You get exclusive merch and access to bonus content. Join me again next week when my guest will be John Hitchcock. We talk about his early childhood influences, learning about color and perspective in his grandmother's rose garden, how he developed his distinctive style and how it intersects with his musical mind, his exciting multimedia exhibition at the Portland Art Museum last year, and if he just happens to be Hello Print Friends' first ever musical guest. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. <laughs>